Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of your favorite hockey podcast. It could even be your favorite podcast of all time. Uh, we'll happily take that, but uh, yeah, we'll accept hockey uh, for now, at least. It is episode 57. And uh, looking at our most recent guests, uh, we go back to 55. We had Heather McEwen, who was looking to play for Scotland. Um, an episode later, episode 56, we had Jess Lardent, who was happy to represent South Africa, but uh, was talking about possibly uh, playing overseas, Belgium perhaps, uh, a few other places. Um, so yeah, we really have uh, covered the length and breadth of the planet, uh, but we're doing so again once more. And this time, literally, we're going to the other side of the world. But uh, I'm not going to spoil it, because uh, alongside me once again from a fairly noisier uh, a spot, although a really, really great spot. Uh, very, very kind to us, the Grind Coffee Shop over at Melrose Arch. I've got my usual partner in crime, Tyron Jabu Barnard. How are you doing, Ty? Yeah, good day, mate. Welcome to the Barbie that is uh, uh, Hockey, the podcast. Uh, this is for all our Australian listeners. Just to get you, no, okay, I'm gonna stop, <laughs> but yeah, Derek, welcome. Uh, yeah, as you say, I'm sitting at the Grand Coffee Shop in Morris Arch. Uh, I had a, a meeting this morning and I wasn't gonna have time to get home, so I just uh, phoned them and said, Can I come sit here? And apologies if it's a bit noisy in the background, but that noisiness is happiness because it means people are out and about working, making money. Lockdown is a lesson, but don't worry, I am a good social distance from anybody. And uh, when I'm not talking, I have a mask on. So, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic morning. It's a great day to talk about hockey. But then again, isn't every day a great day to talk about hockey? And uh, as, as given away uh, by the accent and by Derek's introduction, we're going down under today with somebody who, whose family the, <laughs> represents all different sports, uh, different countries around the world, the South African living in Australia and whose brother plays cricket for England. I mean... You need to take your notebook out this morning to keep up with it. But uh, we have uh, the incredible South African international hockey player, Lenae Milan. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute honor. But I just would like to say, Ty, that was an awful accent. I think you should try it a little bit harder next time. <laughs> yeah, no, look, in, in fairness, I usually have a problem in whatever accent I try and go with. Uh, I usually end up in Russian, and uh, yeah, that's that's just not appropriate. So uh, I'll just I'll keep my South African twang, and you can keep your little uh, Aussie accent to yourself. <laughs> I don't have an Aussie accent. It's <laughs> it's 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 slight. It, it's getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Lene, just for the benefits of uh, everybody who is listening. Where in the world do we find you right now and why in the world do we find you there? Well, I am currently in Perth in Australia, as that um, accent obviously describes. Um, I'm here at the moment because, yeah, I came over a few years ago to obviously see Australia and play a little bit of hockey abroad. And when I was here, I absolutely fell in love with it. yeah, I love it here. Obviously, very similar to South Africa. So, yeah, um, just obviously brought me back each year. And now, obviously, with the COVID stuff, um, <laughs> not that you can travel anywhere. Um, yeah, I'm permanently based here at the moment. 
So permanently based purely because of COVID or was that just a, a happy accident? Are you, are you happy to describe yourself as an, uh, an Australian for now? But I mean, I don't mean physically. Obviously, I just mean where you based. Yeah, it's definitely not an Australian. I'm still really proudly South African, but um, permanently actually out of choice at the moment. So I've just recently received my permanent residency. So um, I actually applied for that last year. So I waited for about a year for it. So yeah, um, before the whole COVID stuff hits obviously everywhere, I'd already made that decision to apply for my permanent residency here. So yes, it is home now. And tell me, Lena, I mean, we've got to ask. uh, So you say you won't describe yourself as an Australian, but you are based there. Um, You're very much South African through and through, heart and head, et cetera, et cetera. Um, In terms of international representation, could we see uh, a Milan listed in an Australian lineup in the near future? Well, you never know, but probably not. I think I'd be a bit too old by that time. Um, I don't think time is on my side anymore, um, so probably not, but you never know. <laughs> um, because, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Of course, we, we, we mentioned the sporting family, and uh, for those that don't know, uh, just revealing as to just how sporting they are in terms of the family that, uh, that, that you come from, uh, in terms of siblings and, and parents, etc.? Yes, so um, my dad was actually a good cricketer himself um, when he was obviously a little bit younger, um, which obviously translated to my brothers. So both brothers obviously got into cricket at a young age. Um, My middle brother, Charles, he actually um, came over to Melbourne in Australia to come play some cricket, but decided to follow his career as an engineer. Um, And then my eldest brother, Darby, He is currently playing for England. So we were all born in the UK. So we all have those British passports, which obviously made him eligible to play for England. So grew up in a big sporting family, which is probably why I also took on the sport um, as well. My mum was a good water skier, so not as much wall sports, but um, yeah, very big sporting family. It's it's always interested me, the... The connection with with the Milans and and the UK because ordinarily in the past we've always seen a case of where a anyone that's that's got South African roots that's gone on to play for England it's been a case where they were born here and then either educated in England or uh, they've got there via their grandparents or parents etc. We've seen like the, the likes of Kevin Peterson and, and many many others but it's different for for mm-hmm. for you you guys and and ladies because of course as mentioned you're born there yet. Uh, grew up in South Africa, um, which is, is pretty cool. I mean, we, we like to claim it. Of course, yes. Yeah. So um, I actually think, um, yeah, I me specifically, I would still probably classify as born and bred in South Africa because we moved over when I was three years old. Um, Charles was five and, and Darby seven. So we obviously grew up in South Africa. That was where major, majority of our sporting career obviously happened and um, so you guys can definitely claim that there's no <laughs> doubt um, but Darby for example he would have probably have spent majority of his life in the UK to be honest because he moved over when he was seven to all um, the family we moved together when he was seven but then moved back to the UK obviously to follow his 
cricket career at age 18. So, and he's, I think, 33 now. I need, need to think about that. Um, so majority of his life has actually been in the UK, to be honest. Well, and, and of course, uh, the last thing we'll talk about your brother is obviously he's not just a good cricketer. He's currently the top-ranked T20 batsman in the world. So that's a pretty proud feather in the cap for the Milans. Oh, it's absolutely incredible. Um, we obviously follow his career really closely, as we should, but um, we obviously support him so much, and we are so incredibly proud of him. I mean, a role model to all of us as well um, as a family. And a lot of us, like when he was playing in the Ashes and stuff, we followed him around the world. So I'm really, really proud of him. And it's a, a huge achievement that probably... 90% of people will never be able to say they have achieved in their life. So not to brag about my brother, but well done to him. I'm really proud of him. Well, and, and obviously we want to now brag about you. So, I mean, Linnea, obviously we talk <laughs> about international and uh, oh, it's a pleasure. You, you yourself have maybe a disappointing for some as you only have 17 caps uh, for, for the national outdoor team or 17 recorded caps. There might be one or two that yeah. aren't, but uh, you also, you, you made a debut in your, or you played in the under 21 World Cup in Germany in München Gladbach. And I mean, I was, I was looking at the squad last night that you played alongside. Uh, so Pumi Mbanda, Izal Latakhan, Tanya Britz, Taryn Mallett, uh, Tiffany Jones, Lillian Duplessis, I mean, current national captain, Aaron Hunter, Nicole Walraven, Nai Rasmus. I mean, is it is it a little bit frustrating for you when, when you look at the fact that there's the likes of Lillian Duplessis with 100 caps, Aaron with over 50, uh, Pumi with almost 50 caps now, that you don't have more to your name? Because I know there's a lot of fans in South Africa who think you really should. Um, look, obviously, I wouldn't say it's frustrating. I think um, good on all of those girls for obviously pushing through all the years and um, brilliant hockey players as well. And as you've said, come through the years with them. So, um, yeah, they are my friends. They were my teammates, obviously. Um, so I wouldn't say it's a frustration. I would just say I would have been on a different journey, if I could put it that way. Um I obviously had a few disappointments with the South African setup. Um, so I just think it's a total different ball game. So it's, it's hard to compare because at the end of the day, I don't really compare myself to others. Um, but yes, I think I just followed a different career path. I also um, um, followed more of my obviously career as well, not only as hockey, but also on my biokinetic side of things. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say it's frustrating, but it's more about where I could have been caps wise, but, um, yeah, I'm happy with where I am at now. And as I said, obviously I've had, I had a few disappointments in the South African setup. Um, so yeah, I just think it's a different ball game for everybody. Yeah, look, I mean, we, we understand that over the course of these podcasts, we've chatted to a lot of people who have been upset by the system, who have been uh, uh, robbed of opportunities. And, and uh, you know, the, the resounding response from most people is, you don't dwell on that, though. You you play the cards that uh, uh, come your way and you make the most of it. And, and you have, because you have a really cool hockey journey. I mean, take us through, uh, through your journey from... Um, 
you know, playing here in South Africa, university hockey, to playing over at Canterbury in the UK, at, uh, I think it was at Holcomb you played at, uh, and yeah. of course in Australia. So just uh, for the benefit of our listeners, take us through a little bit of that incredible journey that you've been on with hockey. Yeah, sure. So as you've obviously stated there, um, it obviously shapes us into who we are today, not only as hockey players, but also as individuals. So um, through my sporting career, I obviously built up a lot of resilience too. So I obviously learned how to um, deal with those disappointments and obviously um, work harder. I'm a very hard worker and obviously just learn from a lot of mistakes. So um, that's on that side of things. But on the flip side of that, my whole hockey career, I've actually had an incredible journey and I wouldn't change it for the world. I've, I've, I've seen the world, you know. So um, my journey started, obviously, when I was at Paul Gymnasium. I finished my school uh, career and obviously had to make the big decision of where I was going to go to for university. And um, I had my mindset on Marty, so Stellenbosch. Um, and then Missy Gordon actually had arrived um, or called my dad and obviously offered myself and um, Izel Lautachan actually um, a deal to go and play in Bloemfontein at Costi's. And I said, no, I'm not going. Um, I really was against it, but ended up going. And I'm actually so grateful I went. I built some lifelong friendships there, those girls that were in my team. Um, are still my friends till today. I mean, they still call me um, via Skype and Zoom nowadays, all those things. Um, and also, I think, grants me the opportunity to have more playing time by myself as an individual, or obviously my style of play and so on. Um, uh, we obviously play a lot of varsity cup there, and we ended up doing really well towards the end of my um, university career. And um, whilst I was obviously playing at Corfsies, I was also studying and I did my biokinetics. So during my honours year, I had four weeks off. I still remember being in my oral exam and I still said to the lecturer, please, can you give me a nod to let me know if I've passed or not? Because I was flying to the UK the day after to go and play for Canterbury. Um, so I had a little break there for four weeks. I literally went over for four weeks in my uni break. Um, Jen Wilson was the coach at that stage. She said to me, yes, come, Lene, um, come and experience what it's like to play in the UK. And I went over and um, obviously only spent four weeks there. And then I had my compulsory internship year in 2015. So I had to go back to South Africa. And then once I finished that, I made the decision that, you know, you're only young once. You can only play sport until you're a certain age. Um, so I signed with Canterbury again. And I went in the beginning of 2016. Um, and I had a great season there. We played in the Premiership final there alongside Jerky, actually. Um, so, yeah, I loved my years in the UK. Very different style of play to South Africa. Um, and then from there, I got offered a deal to go over to Australia. And, you know, at that stage, I thought, oh, I've played a season. I should probably go back home. And then... I decided to come over to Perth because um, I'd never been to Australia and I thought it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And I came over, but I, unfortunately, I was only here for two weeks and snapped my Achilles. So that was obviously forced me to go back home. 
So that's how I've ended up in Australia. I came back the year after my rehab because it took me a whole year to rehab through that, obviously. And yeah, that's where I am at now. It's an amazing story. Sorry, Todd. I just, I'm always amazed yeah, because often I, we no. ask this question and, and often the, the guests, uh, they say, yeah, you know, I was born, enjoyed hockey, played a bit, got selected, and then that's where I ended up. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for that very detailed description. Um, uh, it, it's actually amazing. Uh, born in the UK, uh, schooled in Paul, um, studied in Bloemfontein, and played in England, back to England, and then ending up in Oz. And it's, jeez, you've, you've lived some life in, in, in your fairly short life already. I have indeed. Sorry for my detail. Probably no, it's going good. To less detail. No, no, the detail's uh, the, the best part. <laughs> but I also think on top of that, um, I always say it, even, it's even in some of my cover letters, um, that I send off with my CV and stuff is my hockey is actually taking me all over the world and I've obviously seen the world through it and I'm really grateful for it. And at the moment, my hockey is actually the reason I also got my permanent residency in another com- um, country. So very grateful for my hockey and the experience that I obviously got to um, experience. And as on top of that, also very thankful for my parents for offering me those opportunities you know and they could have said to me no you have to stay in south africa so yep very happy so i mean Lene, I'm, I, I, I mean i please don't ever apologize for the detail i think it's absolutely uh, <laughs> fantastic you know and and again for the youngsters listening they can they can hear what the journey is really like not just okay i had talent and boom i'm in australia and a permanent resident but uh, you know, obviously, you you had the the Achilles uh, snap. It's uh, it's a horrific injury, and as you say, you were travelling the world because of hockey. Uh, you know, some significant injuries can really derail somebody, both obviously physically, but also mentally. How how did you overcome the challenge of that? And I mean, how difficult was it for you? Because so many people, unfortunately, face that, and that's where their path ends. Yeah, 100%. Um, that is a very good question because I think a lot of people do struggle with that. And I've had my fair share of injuries. I've actually broken both my collarbones. Um, I've had my Achilles snap and I've actually got about four plates in my face from hockey. So very dangerous sport, first of all. Um, but it's obviously taught me how to deal with it. Um, the Achilles especially, I found really hard because um, I had my operation. I, sna- I fully snapped it at a four centimeter tear in my Achilles. So I had to have the operation, flew back to South Africa, had it done in pulse. Um, but I was immobilized for about eight weeks. I was on crutches. And for someone that loved running and loved exercising, it was daunting. It was, it was, it was awful. And um, my parents were really good good to me obviously there were times where you thought oh am I ever going to be able to run again that's what that's all that went through my mind and my mom I'll still remember till this day my mom said to me when she saw me running the first time she just had tears in her eyes because she thought I never thought you were going to run again just because the amount of rehab that I obviously had to put into that um, I actually remember doing my own rehab at times because obviously that's what I studied 
Um, but it's really hard. But at the end of the day, it's just setting little goals for yourself and obviously working towards those goals. Um, I always explain even to my own patients that I work with, if you do all the little things right, the harder things will get easier and easier. So don't skip the little things as hard as it is. Um, and obviously, it, it builds that resilience too. So I came back stronger afterwards, actually. Um, I actually feel like I'm faster now than what I was then because I obviously worked on all of that and I focused on all those little things. So as disappointing as it is, and obviously it hits, you would know, obviously it hits at certain times of your career that you really don't need it. But at the end of the day, just if I can give a little bit of advice is just think of all the positives in life. And um, I know it's really hard when you're in that situation, but you just need to keep powering through and pushing through it because at the end of the day, you will end up on the other side. And so, yeah, that's basically, I just think it builds a lot of resilience and it makes you work harder. And yeah, that's from my side with the injury side of things. And I, I can imagine, Lene, coming from a, a big sporting family, that that would have been a massive motivator, seeing something like your brother achieving a, a, on the international cricketing front. Um, you, you'd like to emulate something like that. And, and it leads me to my next question. We've, we've often had guests which come from sporting backgrounds, and uh, that, that's hardly surprising. But were they ones to, was your dad one to push you when you were young? in terms of achieving on the sporting field or did he just let you do your own thing and uh, come what may? Uh, That is a very good question. But yes, my dad, when we were younger, he did push us quite a lot, but not, not, not like to the extreme. He obviously pushed us until the point where we realized what it took to work hard as an individual and, that it obviously came from inside you because as parents, um, they can obviously push you to a certain extent. But if you haven't got that willpower and that fight within, um, it's pretty hard to obviously succeed. So I think um, to rephrase that, I wouldn't say my dad pushed us as much. I think he um, encouraged us and helped us quite a lot. I remember days um, where my dad would stand bowling to my brother um, non-stop obviously my other brother too he always was on the turf with me throwing hockey balls to me although he knew nothing about hockey it still it still annoys me till this day because he tries to tell me what to do but he doesn't know much about it um but he was always there and obviously always pushed us well not pushed us but obviously encouraged us quite a lot um, a good little example of this is he built a little backyard pitch for us um, to play backyard cricket on. So, um, yeah, we bowled to one another out the back. I probably fetched the ball more than anything. But, um, yes, I think that is from my dad's perspective. He loved the sport. So he had that passion for it and he obviously wanted us to succeed. But at the end of the day, it came from within where my mom, for example, was always just a supportive one. She would always um, encourage us from from a distance, if I can put it that way. So she would be at the field with us, but she wouldn't physically be throwing the balls when my dad really, really got into it. It's an interesting study, I, I could imagine, in terms of 
hard to go about raising your kids or hard to go about raising a, a sporting superstar. Because uh, the best sporting biography I've read, without a shadow of a doubt, was Andre Agassi's book called Open. And in it, he speaks yes. about how his dad pushed him as a tennis player from when he was very, very young. And, and he hated it. He absolutely hated the sport. And, you know, he, he speaks about how his dad, when, when they're moving houses or when they'd buy a house when he was very young over in Las Vegas, the dad would literally go to the house. He wouldn't even look inside. He'd just run out to the back and measure out the garden to make sure that they could fit a tennis court in there. If they couldn't, he'd just walk away, next house, next house, next house, until he could physically put in a tennis court. And once he did, all he did was send down that, that ball machine to, to Andre when he was two or three years old yes. and send about a thousand balls a day. And, and he hated it, yet, of course, uh, we see the, the fruits of his dad's hard work come out at the end. Um, yet there's been other cases where <laughs> we've had sporting stars where they said exactly what you have, where it's been, no, my parents didn't push me whatsoever, but they did encourage me, and they were always there. And I think this is the most important part, as support. So... Whatever I needed, they managed to provide if they could, obviously within their means, but they were always there for support, not so much in terms of intimidation. Exactly. And I can add two little stories from my childhood that I remember quite clearly is always when um, one of my brothers were out on the cricket field, you just hear my dad's tires go and he'd shoot off from the field. And my tennis years, because I used to play tennis quite competitively too, um, every time I thought my dad was at the court, I would hear like a loud clap from the back. And I think, oh, I've hit in the net again. My father's here. So um, from that side, definitely supportive. And he obviously just wanted us to succeed. So those times that we'd play a terrible shot and stuff, he would obviously just expect a little bit better from us. And growing up, no doubt, I mean, coming from Paul Jim, that must have also played a massive role. Uh, I've got a, a lot of friends who, who come from there. Uh, I've got a few friends whose kids go there now. And uh, what a magnificent school. Oh, absolutely incredible. Um, I was actually only there for a year and a half of my school career. Um, but at that stage, uh, that was the first um, AstroTurf that was built in Nepal. And I do, I'm very thankful for the school. I mean, they... They also um, granted me a lot of opportunities. Um, I think part of the reason why I got my um, my my bursary at um, Coffee's was through the school. So yes, forever grateful for them. And even when I go home now, um, I just call Wemuel, who is um, the Astro manager there, and I go, oh, "Can I come and hit some balls?" And they still let me on the turf every day. They still um, invite me to have some chats to the youngsters so still pretty much um fully involved in the school when I do go home and I try and I try and give back as much as I can because obviously they've given quite a bit to me as well. Elena you are very popularly known in the sense that it's in your social media feeds it's on on everything but you are number 12. Is there any uh, importance behind the number or was it just given to you? Well, actually, that number, I love number 12. That's just um, my favorite number. But my national number is actually number 15. So I took um, Kitty Kutia's number. Actually, I had six um, footsteps to fulfill. But, um, yeah, at the moment at Hale um, here in, in 
Australia, I'm number 14. But I'm number 14 only because I can't get number 12 because my dearest player coach, Madonna Blythe, is the famous number 12. So I don't think I'd ever get that number until she retires. So no, no reasoning behind it. I just really love the number, number 12, but I don't often get to play with it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's obviously a great number 12. Uh, my, for me, it's just simply a dyslexic number, though, because my favorite number in the world is 21. So uh, uh, I need the reverse. <laughs> no, but um, you see, I hate odd numbers. I need even numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I don't. I, I just feel like twenty one's not. I know it is an odd number. It just doesn't feel like an odd number because it just looks so right. But uh, that, that's an accountant talking now. So we're just going to move on from that before I lose that job. <laughs> yep. Um, Lena, you obviously also had experience of playing both in the South African Premier Hockey League for the One and Wings, and in Hockey One for the Perth Thundersticks. I mean, what what was the experience like between the two? Because in, in essence. The two are fairly similar in terms of what they are to Hockey Australia and South African hockey. Yes, so um, similar in a way, but not as much because obviously um, PHL is more of a draft system, which is actually a tournament coming up in about a week and a half time. A half time. Um, we've got the draft happening on Sunday. So I'd be interested to see how this um, tournament goes in two weeks' time. Um, with regards to Hockey One, um, that is obviously like the um, IPT of South Africa, I would say, because you're still playing in a form of state. So ours would obviously be provinces in South Africa. So they choose the 14. So they only take 14 players. Um so they choose your best 40 in per state, which is obviously included of all the national players as well. Um, and the experience was incredible. We played all over Australia. So um, we'd play weekends. So like last weekend, I mean, last year you would, for example, if we played playing against Tasmania, you'd fly on the Friday, play on the Saturday, fly back on the Saturday. So you only play one game at a time. So similar in a way, but... Um, Totally different style of play here. Um, they are big on counterattacks and going forward and breaking lines. And I think that's helped my hockey quite a lot. So um, I just think the level is a little bit higher here um, with obviously um, having all the strongest players all over the country playing against one another, which is probably similar to PHL. Um, but I just think, yeah, I, the experience from my side, it's a little bit stronger on this side. And overall, the quality of the, the league, I mean, obviously you have a, a big cup semi-final coming up this weekend. There's a lot of structure there. But overall, how would you uh, compare the quality of your club hockey in Australia with the quality of the club hockey in Um levels levels higher than South Africa. I think the reason for that is here in Australia we've got um a bit of the a called a we get an Australian pick. So each team in Perth has um at least two or three of the hockey roos, which is the Australian national players per team. So depending on where you end in the league, 
that depends on how many um, Australian players you get. So we at at my hockey club, Hale Hockey Club, we've got the likes of Mariah Williams, Emily Chalker, which was Emily Smith, who's the current captain. Um, and then we used to have Sophie Taylor, but she's just put, been put back into the draft. So from that perspective, they try and even out the teams quite a lot. And obviously there's some quality pre- premier players slash state players playing in each team. So the league is extremely close here. So I think that's what I would say is the difference in South Africa where you'd have one or two teams that are really strong um, and then the others really struggle to compete. So I'm not sure if they can maybe try and implement a rule where you're only allowed four national players to a team or something like that just to even it out a bit because I mean, when our national players play here in Australia, it makes a huge difference to our team. So we've got a big game coming up this weekend. Um, with Mariah Williams is injured at the moment, which makes a big difference to our team. But just having that um, extra strength in the team really makes a difference. So I think that's just the big difference is how it's evenly split quite a bit. South Africa never really has embraced that concept of trying to share the talent amongst teams, no matter the sport. And we see it all over the world. Uh, I, I think the state started it with salary caps, etc. And you get the, the NFL draft going straight from, well, any draft really, going straight from college into professional sport. The team that finished last the previous year gets first pick. Uh, so to make sure that it is a competitive league. And, I mean, we've seen it so often in South Africa where, and no matter the sport, where it's completely lopsided. You get normally the, the, the usual suspects topping the log and then the usual suspects anchoring the table. And it's not a difference of like five or six log points. It's a difference of 30 or 40 log points. You know, it's a difference between 10 wins and one exactly. win. Um, and, mm. and I mean, we, we, we speak about salary caps in England now. I mean, Saracens were, were heavily fined. Uh, they're going to be relegated because they went and flouted uh, the laws regarding salary, salary caps. And, and it surely would yep. be a brilliant case, case study uh, in terms of improving South African sport across the board to do that, to try and even out the talent because at the moment it's not working and it shows in the crowds, it shows in the results. And you yep. could say, oh, but the Springboks went and won the World Cup. And I think that's an exception to the rule because elsewhere uh, teams certainly are struggling. I totally agree with that. Um, look, I obviously follow a lot of the girls on social media back home, and it looks like there's a lot of work being put in from the national setup, which is really good to see um, from, like, obviously from here and stuff. But I totally agree with you on that one, where here in Perth, um, if you are picked into the national setup, you have to relocate to Perth. So our... Um, league here is extremely strong because obviously all those players um say now if they were from sydney or the gold coast they all have to move over to perth so it strengthens the league a lot and it just makes a big difference and it it really um helps youngsters grow in their game as well because they're learning so much from from obviously these icons in their team so um in my team, for example, I've got the famous Madonna Blythe that plays for us, and I've learned so much from her. Um, she's incredible, and it's it's just having um, a little bit more depth to a team to learn from 
I think will make a huge difference in South Africa as well. Yeah, there's no case. Uh, I mean, there's no argument that it, it wouldn't. I, I completely agree. And yeah. we can really, really hope for the best that, that we do hopefully go that way uh, eventually. I know that Francois Pino with his links to the Varsity Cap, they've been trying to encourage that. Of course, the Varsity Cap use a, a promotion relegation mm-hmm. system. And, and we don't see it a, a lot in professional sports in South Africa. Of course, the, well, the, pre- uh, the DSTV Premier League now, they, they do that. But um, yeah, I would really love to see more of the talent spread across South Africa, given that it is such a big country. There are so many different teams that are available, again, across every th- single sport. And uh, I mean, I, I to, for an example, I come from the Eastern Cape, and Eastern Cape, rugby is everything, everything. And now, what, it was two weeks ago where the Kings, um, they, they came, uh, claimed insolvency, and they've literally just disappeared. They've just dissolved into nothing. Uh, you've got a bunch of rugby players down in PE who there's a story I read yesterday, Cameron Wright, who's a, a scrum off. He had to sell uh, half his home to pay off incurring debts and because they just don't have the money. Yet, I mean, we're talking mm. about a province in South Africa where rug, it's rugby, daylight, and then other sport, yet they can't put together a rugby team. And yet you've got teams exactly. where... And I don't want to mention names, but you've got teams where sitting on the bench and not even able to make the bench. You've got Springboks, who a year ago won the Rugby World Cup. Uh, so you've got all the talent exactly. just um, confined into little areas. And then you've got these massive spaces where they've just got not a single player. Oh, I totally agree with that. And I, as I said, I really hope that there could be some implementation of obviously building this because... Um, Yes, as I, I can imagine a lot of people playing abroad would probably say the same thing where we would, like we want South African hockey to improve and we want um, everything to be better, especially for the youngsters coming through because um, it's important for them. I mean, hockey is one of the highest played sports in South Africa and um, it is very important. And I think on the flip side of that, um, it's losing a lot of players, but not only players, but also coaches. So I think on the coaching side of things too, South Africa has lost quite a few quality coaches on that side as well because it's frustration, I think, that they just want some change and some improvement. So I'm really hoping everything that's going on now, there's at least a little bit of an improvement um, by the looks of it, but really encourage um, everyone to obviously push push as hard as they can to make a change because I've experienced it in a different country and it works. And I understand we don't have the funding in South Africa, um, but it is very important to obviously build the younger generation because um, we don't want the repeat of the 2016 Olympics because that's at the end of the day, who are the role models to the, the hockey players in South Africa? Yeah. Well, then you could also claim that maybe it's symbiotic in terms of the funding and the system, because maybe if there was a better system in place, more funding would come in because people could see that it works. But uh, I think that's a, a discussion for, for another day. Um, just on a personal <laughs> note, I mean, we spoke about the semifinals this weekend. You say it does work. I mean, it surely does in terms of your talent. I mean, you must be extremely excited with uh, what the future holds, particularly the near future of the next coming days. Yes, very excited. So we played this past weekend. We always play... Um, uh, knockout elimination. So if you're in fourth, 
third and fourth play against one another and the loser's out, but then the winner plays the loser of one and two. So it doesn't work like a normal um, semi-final. So we won last weekend against the team that actually beat us in the grand final last week, last year. So um, that was exciting to get through the first round. And then this weekend we've got obviously got a, another go. So um, very exciting. I love the team I'm playing in at the moment. We play a very team-oriented game, um, give and go side bite. So, um, yes, we're playing on Saturday um, at 2.15. If you'd like to watch, you can tune in. It's live stream. Um, so, yeah, very excited to take the field with my team and hopefully we can get back into the grand final, which is the weekend after. And, and how can they watch? You say the live stream? Where, whereabouts? Yes. So, there's a YouTube link, um, usually on Hockey Western Australia's Facebook page. Um, but I could share that with you if you, if you want that. No, we definitely will. This, unfortunately, the singing actually this will air afterwards. Unfortunately, but uh, we'll promote it. Oh, we'll, we'll, right. we'll we'll promote it regardless uh, on our social media channels for everyone to 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 check it out. Well, hopefully, we make the grand final, and you can promote it that weekend. <laughs> Let's just promote it both weekends. Yeah, uh, I mean, perfect. Lene, obviously, you've also got uh, some like you said, some great coaches that you've uh, played under in your career. Is there a coach that stands out as like the one coach that's made the biggest impact on you? Um, to be honest, I wouldn't say one specific coach. Um, I have had quite a few good experiences with some coaches. Um, one, one that stands out to me is um, Jack he was my coach at Cofties. Um, I think he always built my confidence quite a lot and shaped me into the player I am. Um, a second mention I would give is actually to Lindsay Wright because I was actually talking to her the other day um, and I'll never forget this. When we were prepping for the Junior World Cup, I was um, doing some sprints and with obviously with the rest of the team and I turned probably one centimeter before the line and she made us redo it all. So that sticks with me till this day. I don't think I've ever turned before a line again. We were having a good giggle about that. Um, so she, she had a big influence on my career, although I always thought um, I never, she always shouted at me and stuff, but I always um, thought she just had something against me. But there was one day, um, like in particular where she said to me, when I stop when I stop shouting at you and I stop encouraging you, that's when I know I've given up on you. But the fact that I'm obviously pushing you means that I know I can get more out of you. So that sticks with me quite a lot. But um most recently the two coaches that really stand out is Madonna Blythe and Emily Halliday, which are my current coaches. I have learned so much from from them. My game has developed so much since I've been in Australia. Um so a big thank you to them as well with, with all they've done and the freedom they let me play with. Uh, no, that's fantastic stuff. I mean, uh, I, I, I'll never forget as, as pitiful as was and as average a hockey player as I was. I was much better at coaching and umpiring. I'll never forget I had a coach uh, named Grant Clough when I was in grade nine who actually just transformed my love of the game completely just by the way he coached. So, I mean... We know that a coach can make such a massive impact on so many people listening to this are coaches, so keep it up. Uh, you know, Lene, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, 
just stepping away from hockey a little bit. Uh, so forgetting hockey now, you, you've traveled quite a lot. You, you talk about yourself as a world traveler, and, and that's something that both Derek and I are very fond of. Obviously, not in the age of Corona, but uh, before that, mm-hmm. where is uh, your favorite place you've traveled to, not for hockey purposes, just your favorite place? And then where is your bucket list? There's the one place you really want to travel to next. And again, we can keep this one away from hockey purposes, just Jim. Yes, perfect. So my favorite place I've actually traveled to is, um, it was in Italy. It's called, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, it's called Cinque Terre, which means obviously the five coastal towns. Um, so one of my American friends and I, we traveled um, along there for five days and it was absolutely incredible. The scenery, the, oh, it was just beautiful. And that, that was just awesome. Like we hiked up and down the, these, um, mountains, which were obviously beautiful, a lot of steps. So it was really nice. Um, and my bucket list, um, this is a good question. I think I would love to go and see the Northern Lights. Um, but yeah, I haven't put much thought into that. Um, I guess I will take that on when I get there. Ooh, that sounds good. Uh, I know that uh, my girlfriend and I also have a, a massive bucket list destination, which includes the Northern Lights. So, oh man, that yeah, uh, yeah you really uh, ticked the box there. Uh, Italy, really, really <laughs> wonderful place. I, I completely agree, but without a doubt, uh, the Northern Lights would definitely take center stage for me. You know, you know, Derek. Uh, there's one place. There's one place I went in my life that was. You know, you often you often see places and pictures or in movies, and then when you go there, you kind of like, oh, is that it? And uh, it's not the most special place in the world, but exactly what I expected is what I saw was actually Venice in Italy. Mm. I mean, it was everything I imagined was that exactly. So I didn't actually go to Venice. I did um, Florence and Luca and Pisa and Cinque Terre. So I'll have to go back sometime. Yeah, I've only I've only done Rome, and and what I loved, uh, and and I, I went to Rome on the back of Berlin, and I loved yeah. the history of the two cities. Uh, I mean, I could just I, yeah. I, I'd walk it for days just looking at the different statues, the buildings. I mean, uh. even the street signs. You know, I mean, I I'd look at the the street signs and. They had been cobbled together from ancient stone, etc. And I'm there. I mean, this the street sign alone is older than South Africa, yeah, and, and and that that always amazed me the the history of certain places in Europe. But uh, Italy definitely right up there. Um, but yeah, with uh, without a doubt, the Northern Lights uh, would would be on my bucket definitely. list uh, along with I yours. Agree. Um, okay, Lynette, how it's going to work now? We move over to the tail end of um, the interview. And it is the one question Perfect. quiz. I don't know if you've heard the podcast before. You must lie and say yes if you haven't. But we always sell off. I with, have actually. Oh, brilliant. Okay, so you know exactly how this works. We end things off with a, a one question quiz. It's usually pretty tough. And uh, I think I lost. Can I get a multiple choice question? Uh, 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 <laughs> of course not. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's actually pretty easy. So. So here we go. Okay, so now what would you say on all of them, Derek? <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so let me see. Yep. Yeah, you're gonna say. No, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me get a nice little song here. This is gonna be from Six and Out. This was a, a uh, this was a, a band that Brett Lee was in. Here we go. Oh, 
this uh, our little musical interlude that we like adding just to separate the one question quiz from everything else. Uh, okay, and uh, yep. it's very pertinent to you because you did study in Bloemfontein. So Bloemfontein was yes. the scene of uh, our penultimate ODI that South Africa have played because, of course, we've only played, what, one, two, three? We played six ODIs in 2020 and then coronavirus hit, so we haven't played anything more. So Bloemfontein was the penultimate ODI that we did play. Uh, we played against Australia, and in it, a century was scored by a player for South Africa, and it also happens to be the last century a South African has scored in ODI cricket. Do you have any idea who that was? You shouldn't be asking me cricket questions. <laughs> um, was it was it recent? It, it well, yeah, it was at the beginning of the year. And was it also someone that had my surname? <laughs> so you have been following. Well done. <laughs> well, I haven't been following, but sometimes I think I was at home at that time in South Africa. So I think um, I'm not. They aren't related to me, just first of all. And secondly, um, yeah, I think it, it was a Yanaman. Well done. Congratulations. Uh, very, very well done. Because that was very, very tricky. Because like you, they also come from a massive sporting family. And there's actually three brothers uh, that play cricket professionally. So, yeah, you had to be very specific. And you hit the nail on the head. Congratulations. Yanaman Milan, it was. And uh, that means that we've had our first success in the One Question Quiz for quite some time, Ty. Yeah, look, I, I think I... they... I was just going to say, I think Lanay has just taught all future uh, joiners what to do. Go and listen to a few and you actually pick up Derek's uh, line of questioning and then, it's, then it is really an easy question. It's always something related with my surname or something in history, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, we, do, we, do, we, we don't cover a lot of bases, but the bases that we do cover uh, are proven to be quite tough. So... But not, not tough enough for you. Congratulations, Lene. What's the time over there? Thank you so much. It is almost 5 p.m., so I've got hockey in about 30 minutes. Oh, so. brilliant. So, so we wrapped it up just in time. And are you, how far are you away from training? I always love it in Oz. Well, I think a, a lot of places and that everything is just a, a hop, skip and a jump in terms of public transport, etc. Do you need to uh, vickle a bit to get there or is it around the corner? I actually sometimes ride my bike there because I'm literally two minutes away from the hockey club. So, yes, oh, very close. <laughs> love. Are you close to the Swan River? Um, I know. I'm more. I'm closer to the coast, okay. um, but I would say in between. So, um, it's pretty easy for me to jump on the freeway, which is obviously right at the Swan River, but it's also about 10-minute, five-minute drive from the, from the beach as well. Oh, well, it really is a lovely part of the world. Uh, we won't keep you uh, waiting. Yeah, head off to hockey. And, Danae, it's been a, a pleasure chatting to you, and we wish you the best of luck for this weekend. Um, when listeners hear this, so it'll be the past weekend. So, yeah, we, were, we wished you the best of luck for what just took place in the past. Uh, but, yeah, it's been, been so, so good chatting to you. And, uh, yeah, best of luck for the future. And also to your sporting family, the brothers. Uh, we hope to see David uh, continue to perform in the T20 arena and hopefully maybe uh, make return to the Test arena too. Thank you so much, and uh, thanks for having me. I love you guys' work. It's, it's awesome to hear all the pod podcasts, and yeah, just keep it up. And hopefully, a lot of people are listening, and there will be some changes made. But thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute honor. 
I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. And well done for this weekend as your team won the semi-final. Um, and good luck for the grand final next weekend <laughs> when everybody's listening. Uh, we look forward to Thank live you. streaming it and sharing it all over the awesome. social media channels. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Lene. Ciao. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You know, Derek, I've said it before when we had uh, uh, Shelly Russell, Shelly Jones now about her and Brent. I said it before when we had Celia about her and Brett Evans. But how amazing it is for a family to produce not just one international sportsman, but two and a third incredibly talented sportsman. I mean... Uh, it must just be fantastic growing up in a family like that and to be able to back each other and, and of course their story is so cool because of they are our representatives of the world not just the country yeah and we mentioned the same thing in the previous discussions and i'm an only child so i i can't really relate but of course i've done it with friends and we've achieved things on on the cricket field or or the golf course or, or whatever like oh i'm i'm i, I I got that ball in in five shots. You did it in, in six. I, I win this one. And imagine those discussions whereby uh, I've played for my country 28 times. You've only done it 24. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a completely different level. Things like that to, to chat on sporting achievements on an international stage uh, just must be something else. And to do it with your own family. Uh, yeah, I mean, that must take the cake. Yeah, I mean, with my family, it's like... Uh, who paid for lunch this week? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ty, thanks so much, man. As always, well done. What a superb guest. Really, really enjoyed her. And I look forward to seeing her continued success on the hockey front and, and even more so over in Australia. But, uh, yeah, congratulations to you for grabbing her. And uh, best of luck to Lene for the future. Yeah, thanks, mate. Have a great one, everybody. See you next week at the Barbie. Ciao.